Hello. Can you guys hear us? We are live. All right. We are live. Okay. All right. So, so can this you is mute your mic? Four. There should be a little uh, mic there. Who do you want to mute? Oh, Anessa? She's already on mute. Um, she kind of froze, though, a little bit. There she goes. Okay. Go ahead, Pete. Okay. So this is episode four, and we are having an interview with Drs. Andre and Anessa Acuna. Give a shout-out, guys. Hey, everybody. All right. This is uh, Dr. Sergio Martinez and my wife, Dr. Rocio Martinez. Hey, everyone. PT podcast. So today we want to talk about um, what our letters mean behind our names. I know that, you know, there's a lot of confusion of when patients are looking for physical therapists. Um, they never know what kind of therapist to seek out. And I think, you know, learning the therapist credentials is very important. That way you can get the, the care that you need and care you deserve, um, especially in the outpatient setting. So let's talk a little bit more about that. So Andre, um, give us a rundown of what the letters mean after the PT, because everyone knows what the PT means and that's physical therapist. But what about the DPT? And I see you also have some letters there. Let's, let's talk about that. Sure, definitely. So <clears throat> essentially, um, the PT is first and foremost, the uh, identification of what you are or who you are, right? So we're a physical therapist. And then anything after that, um, essentially goes off on to say what, what type of education or extra certifications that you may have, uh, uh, you know, jumped on after your, your, um, essential essentially your 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 graduate program right so in in my particular case i'm a doctor of physical therapy and and when i came out of pt school originally it was only mostly master's programs right back in 2007 it wasn't really till about 2015 i believe that almost all um uh universities or programs transition to doctorate level physical therapists but uh, you know, I had an option. I, I had an opportunity to go back and get the extra, uh, you know, classes and, and, and whatnot for doctorate uh, level. So that's what I did. And um, then uh, after meeting you, Doctor Setio, you inspired me and drove me to uh, look into getting my uh, fellowship training. And so I went and joined uh, the IAR, which is Institute for Athlete Regeneration, and uh, completed the didactic portion of fellowship. And so in my particular case, the FIT is fellow in training. Uh, essentially, I'm, you know, 90, 95% done with all the fellowship uh, curriculum. I just need some more uh, fellowship uh, mentor hours by yours truly. And I should be able to get my the completion of my of my uh, fellowship training to have the FAAOMPT letters behind my name, just like you do, Dr. Sergio. And then uh, CSOMT for me particularly is uh, certified in sports and orthopedic manual therapy. So uh, there'll be a lot of COMTs and which are certifications in orthopedic manual therapy. And mine is more specific to sports related. Awesome, 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 awesome. Yeah, so uh, the F-A-L-A-O-M-P-T, it's a little bit of a mouthful, but it basically stands for Fellow of the American Academy of Orthopedic Manual Physical Therapy. And what that means is, is that we did, you know, two years of residency at the minimum after our doctorate in physical therapy school, um, and then a one-year fellowship. In that one-year fellowship, we do have to do a certain amount of hours, anywhere from 190 to about 400 hours, depending on the program that you're in. And you have to do um, a research project, you have to do testing, you have to be pretty much on your toes with your mentor all the time because you're gonna be asked questions and they're, they're, we're gonna be grilled on you know anatomy, biomechanics, uh, treatment options, uh, differential diagnoses. Um, so let's talk a little bit more about that, Andre, like with your experience, in the uh, fellowship, you know, mentorship program, like what are things that 
uh, for an example, would you say that, okay, um, I was able to differential diagnosis, even though we got a referral for something completely different? Right. Well, essentially, um, I've been practicing for about 14 years now. And before the fellowship training, it was a lot of just what my experience uh, and, and what I would research and read up on my own to help drive me to provide the best uh, intervention that I could for my patients. And, um, you know, uh, I, I can maybe just start off by saying this. When I was in PT school back from 2003 to 2007, um, there wasn't too much research or evidence-based type of applications within the U.S. from what I recall, right? We had a lot of research journal articles from like the U.K. or from Australia or from other, you know, uh, uh, continents around the world, right? But uh, we were reading a lot of their journals to kind of see what applications were best for the cohorts and all the kind of uh, studies that they were doing, right? And it was growing more in the U.S., but it wasn't necessarily like always or essentially right now you can just Google something here and it shows case studies done here in, you know, the U.S., right? Um, something that is pretty cool that I essentially found when I got into my fellowship training is that a lot of our instructors were actually now citing research and, 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 and science studies that were being done by people within the U.S., right? And, and, and some of those uh, uh, cited uh, researchers were instructors of mine in school, right? So maybe that dates me a little bit, but uh, it was pretty cool to know that they were starting those research, uh, particularly those research uh, studies while I was a student in PT school, and now, you know, they got it uh, published and all that kind of stuff. And now the, the newer grads of uh, doctors, doctors of therapy are actually learning on those articles because, you know, they've been around for 14 years or so, right? So it's something that I have been able to kind of, it's kind of like, I think of like the internet, you know what I mean? Like uh, we went from this dial-up kind of AOL kind of running man and dad, dad, get off the phone. I need to use the internet to now everybody... Everybody has it in their pocket, you know what I mean? And so uh, it's been that growth and that tradition, that uh, transition that I've seen to where now I'm just really happy with where our industry is headed as a whole because the evidence and the research is within our own people and our own soil and land, more so than what I recall back then, right? Um, but essentially, you know, what what happened was when, when I first met you, uh, Dr. Sethio, and you worked uh, alongside me, I saw your application, their, your approach, everything that you had uh, been taught from your fellowship uh, was just very on point. It, it really just cut out the what ifs and the maybes. And so your differential diagnosis was just really applicable to give the best skilled intervention to the patient that at that moment, it wasn't like, well, let's see where the next two or three weeks takes us. It was like, you should have, it was test retest. Where does it hurt? It hurts right here. Okay, let me do something. Boom. Okay, try that again. Does it hurt? Hey, my pain is gone. And it was like, I was like, whoa, man, I need, I need some of that cereal this guy's eating. You know what I mean? It was very direct. And, and, and essentially, in my case, even though I was trying to find all those answers through my trial and error and application, and it was still essentially is effective, it, it was just like, how do I shorten down the time. I don't care to have patients here for three, four, five months. Like essentially, traditionally, that's the general kind of thing for physical therapy. It was like, hey, if I can get you better in six sessions, I'll get you back to your quality of life. You get to go spend time away from the PT clinic because you're back to doing the things you love to do. And hey, I love you, but I don't want to see you again here for this particular injury. You know, think about me for the next one. Send a friend, send the family, you know. And so that really is what got me to say, hey, you know what, I want some of that. And so, you know, you inspired me and you drove me to say, you know, I haven't been in school for 14 years, but I'm going to do it again. And that's what I did with the loving support of my wife and, that, and, and those around me. It's really helped me uh, be very, very uh, truly proud of where I'm at today with these credentials and, and proud of our industry because, you know, another thing, the doctor – uh, initially, right off the bat, 
you know, uh, we even had word of people within our own industry here locally, like, well, he's a doctor, but he's not really a doctor, right? It was kind of like that whole Cairo kind of like, Cairos aren't really doctors, right? And it's just kind of like, no, man, they, they worked hard for what they get. You should respect that, right? How come, how come we can call a professor doctor with no, you know, we don't have any kind of like hesitation, but then you see Dr. PT and you're like, no, he's a PT. No, well, you know, essentially, yeah, we're saturated without, with a lot of physical therapists here locally early on. Now it's starting to kind of balance out the scale, but essentially, yeah, before there was not doctor level PTs here in our area, you know, um, you know, but we, we, we encompass the, you know, essential knowledge, skills, responsibilities of advanced physical therapists as fellowship trained and extra certification. So we're not just physical therapists anymore. It's transition, you know? And, and then so like, if people say, well, why call you doctor? It's like, well, because that's the title I took. But, you know, we underwent specific professional practices just like any other dentist or nurse or doctor or surgeon or optometrist. Uh, orthodontist. I mean, we went to that. It's rigorous. You know, they're not just handing out PT licenses to anybody. You know, we are smart individuals. I tell people all the time, you meet a physical therapist, you can't throw them a challenge with them without them accepting that challenge. And that's somebody that you want in your corner. And the differentiation is just knowing, hey, respecting that they went above and beyond because they're now a DPT and then you see certifications and you see fellowship trains and residencies and it's like no they put a lot I could have just stayed back as master's physical therapist and said I'm not, I'm not going to invest my time I'm not going to invest money I'm just going to get paid sit back get my salary but I felt that we owed more to our uh, community and just as science changes all the time Everybody just look at the pandemic, right? COVID. We didn't have COVID vaccine this time a year ago. In one year, we got COVID vaccines. Science changes, right? So, so does the application of physical therapy and rehab and prevention, performance enhancement, wellness. I could go on and go on, but my wife needs to talk now. <laughs> but, <laughs> and I wanted, to, I wanted to, if I may, I wanted to also ask if um, Dr. Anessa Acuna's uh, experience was the same. What was her journey like going through school? And um, was it a doctor at BT or did she also um, do advanced after school, advanced work after schooling? Um, yes, well, when I entered school in 2010, right, um, it was already a PT pro uh, Dr. PT program, right? Um, we were the second class at that time. Um, I went up to West Texas. It was a little bit of a culture shock, of course, um, growing up in the Valley, but uh, definitely very challenging. Luckily, I had my husband, well, he was my fiance, no, not even my fiance, my boyfriend at the time, um, to help me guide me through because it really was, you know, like you said, it's not easy in any way, shape or form. So um, then uh, being there for what, two years, coming here and being able to come back home for the rotations was, was really nice. And being back home and, you know, living at home and home cooking and botanas and all that good stuff. So, um, but, um, <laughs> uh, training after we, well, you and I, right. We've done our pelvic health training, um, level one, level two. So we're still, um, still growing and, you know, learning and all of that. So, um, yes. My, my and I, I, yes, go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Yes, I was going to say I with the culture shock thing, I definitely agree because when I started school uh, in Belton, Texas, that was back in 2015, uh, before starting school, we went to check out the area and people were looking at us like, what are you doing here? You don't belong in this area, right? So I definitely agree that just that area uh, alone, just whatever area you're at, there's a culture shock for sure. And just yeah, learning was, their, their tradition, right? Yeah, it was, yeah. yeah, I had, luckily I had about 
four, no, three three classmates at the time that they were married and they were older, you know, so they kind of not not older, but like a few years. And so I was able to find my little group and then, you know, go to the store and, you know, but it was, it was definitely, I got a few looks. <laughs> not sincerely, <laughs> but that's just the way yes. it is, you know, that's how it goes, unfortunately, so. And not to take away from, uh, you know, the difficulty of, of the profession, right? The PT itself is, it's a beast. And uh, I, I say that because I went through respiratory care school, that was my bachelor's. And I supported my husband through school. At the time, we were fiancés. And I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know that PT was as hard as it is. A PT school was as hard as it is uh, because I went through a bachelor's program. And so I was thinking like, okay, it, 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 it should be that hard. Come on. Like let's, oh, yeah. it's a doctoral program guys. So right. that, uh, definitely I experienced that in jumping from respiratory to PT. I went through that schooling and I'm like, whoa, what is going on like such more rigorous uh coursework and so amen to that yeah to uh, stephanie yes so so don't don't think that because it's a doctoral uh that it takes away from you know the difficultness i'm sure bachelor's was just as difficult but like for me, I went through a bachelor's of respiratory care and that was difficult, but doing a doctoral level work, it's so much, so much more rigorous um, for that uh, to obtain that doctoral degree. And so we, we, you were able to graduate from it. You deserve to be called a doctor um, because those credentials are not easy. Like Andre was saying, they're not, not easy to obtain. Yeah. Yeah, we had our fair share. We had our fair share of, uh, late night studying, you know. I know when Rocio mm -hmm. went back to school to get her PT degree, I felt like I was going to PT school all over again too, you know. I was like, oh my God. She's asking I know I told him I, I I apologize for not knowing how difficult this was and giving you a hard time with those late study, you know, sessions, <laughs> but it's like, whoa, it was yeah. a big big shift for me <laughs> and when we talk to aspiring therapists because we like to mentor students a lot that yeah. says you say hey doctor i want to be like you one day it's like you know we have very much open door policy we won't turn anybody away we can't accept everybody at the same time but essentially if you have some time to wait we'll we'll make that time for you but i tell in preparation of all these students i say you know what in my particular um experience when I was doing 16, 17, 18 hour semesters at UTPA, right? UTRGV now, but UTPA. Uh, I was just trying to get through my undergraduate because I mean, I was taking courses like marine botany, right? Or biology, whatever. Like I didn't know why I needed to be knowing what seaweed, what seaweed was what, but I mean, it was an upper level bio course from my, you know, and I was just trying to take 16, 17, 18 hours to get to the next level. But at that point, I was doing a lot of memorization to get me through one test to the other. And plus everything was just so rapid. And then it was like once PT school hit, like after orientation day, I was like, okay, cool. First day of school, right? And I was like, okay, well, we're going to take the first two hours to kind of read through the syllabus. And then we're going to do like a meet and greet. And we're going to be like, <laughs> hi, I'm so-and-so from whatever. And then, no, man, my first class, it was like, okay, everybody put your books down. As you read in the syllabus over the summer, you should have read chapters one through six. We're going to have a test today. Like, what? <laughs> No. Right, that, that they wanted not. you to be prepared even exactly. beforehand. <clears throat> so you for us, we probably we all went through lecture based. Sergio did a problem based program, so and he was a guinea pig for sure because it was our first class. So <laughs> yeah, so just think about that. So it was no longer memorization; it was learning, right? It was learning, and so when you guys kind of talk about how when. Dr. Rocio went back to school and Dr. Sergio was like, I'm back in school. I kind of felt the same way, but what helped me with Dr. Anessa was like, that information was still in the Rolodex there. Yeah. And it was like, man, I learned that, you know, she would come up with me with some case study presentations and I would just kind of like, you know what, you're going to want to think of like, uh, you know, uh, bone tissue, bone, bone, you know, cells depositing and muscle tissue. And of course, you know, we know that, diagnosis of that but it's like 
how did you know that? I was like, it was in that Rolodex because I learned yeah. it. <laughs> okay, I, I have to say I love that. Usually I use therapy toolbox like as my, but I like the Rolodex thing. I think I'm going to start using that too. <laughs> yeah, there's a therapy <laughs> Rolodex, man. You keep adding to that thing, right? Yeah. Well, I, I call mine the, the, the glacier, you know, because I got penguins on there, you know. <laughs> Unfortunately, with my glacier, though, is that uh, when a new one comes in, an old one comes out. So, you know, <laughs> I forget stuff, but you know what? Like, it's all good. <laughs> yeah, but it's encouraging because we do have some students, PT students currently going through school right now watching us. And, you know, just words of encouragement, like keep going, keep going strong, right? I mean, this is tough. So I remember going through one of my rotations um, was in a hospital setting and it's like, it's very different, right? I don't know if any of you guys have ever done an acute rotation, but you're not called the doctor in the acute setting. It's like the physician is the doctor and the therapist is the therapist. And so the, it, I can see how in some of those settings, yeah, there's a, more of a more of a shadow cast on the PT, um, that doctoral degree, right? Um, whereas for the outpatient setting, when I did rotations in the outpatient, it's like, it's welcomed, right? It's welcome to be, especially the private one private outpatient settings, you want to be letting and educating uh, patients that you are a doctoral level, you know, physical therapist, because the 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 level of care is is different. It's more much more rigorous uh, practices that we go through. And so even after schooling, right, so you're talking about all these other um, letters after the name. So just to let you know, um, the community aware that those other letters mean that there are other additional credentials and and further practice work that the therapist has gone through to uh, help you out in a better way, right? To right. be a more well-rounded therapist or to specialize further into that area. So we're always, always trying to learn, right? With more letters that are being added to our name. And, and definitely it's another, it's another kind of like we're living in that whole like shift or, or like that paradigm shift of, of just being the therapist to doctor. Uh, I'll share with you guys early on in my uh, experience back, you know, in the early 2000s, um, I would walk into a brand new evaluation. I was doing home home care at that time. But, um, you know, we'd come in with a particular diagnosis and, you know, I know the protocol and I know what you can and cannot do, but it's our job as therapists to teach or to to let the patient trust us that we know that right but essentially there'd be a understanding on the patient side it'd be like oh, oh well the doctor told me this and my first you know or doctor me dijo and I, my first response is which doctor and then they just kind of like all right which doctor because essentially doctor is doctor right but which doctor right a medical physician is a medical physician right a doctor of philosophy and whatnot a doctor of this so in that so i say well the doctor of therapy says that it's okay to move your knee right after a knee joint replacement surgery right and then so entrusting them to say oh wait you're right you know you're the doctor for the movement right because essentially like right. our industry is we're being known or we're transitioning more to movement specialists so you know i'm not going to go and tell them uh, my like medicine-based opinion and then they give me well the doctor told me don't take that pain relief pain or uh, medication and I'm gonna say well you know uh, that's outside of our scope but as far as movement as far as movement and what your range of motion and your strength and all that like we're the specialists for that so let's go and move on and so it's it's an educational factor yeah. that I think is we're needing to start moving towards and and ourselves as clinicians are the ones that are going to change that and so i think we've been Absolutely. doing a, a good job at educating because i'll tell you this much and cultural base here and you guys all know what i'm preaching to the choir but um it was like what god said our creator and then what the medical physician said you know and it was just like no right. one else no one else can say different and and with all respect to our fellow clinicians and all we but when it comes to movement and specialists that for range of motion and pain and all that you know hey we got our respect for that right and so right right, uh, right. Yeah, and 100 percent agree and that's important to to let uh the community know that when searching for um uh, 
a provider, you have to also know what their credentials are. I mean, it's just the what is important to your health, right? So you're going to doctor, what kind of doctor are you going to, right? Are you are you going to a physician assistant? Are you going to a nurse practitioner? Are you going to an actual actual medical physician, right? Um, or when you're going to therapy, okay, are you going to go to a doctor of physical therapy, right? Are you going to go to a bachelor's, a master's? Are you going to be seeing the physical therapy assistant? Are you going to be seeing the technician? So it's important to differentiate and know, right? Educate yourself on who's going to be treating you. Right. We actually have a question right now. Um, I don't know if you guys can see on the comments box. So uh, it's, it's from a Stephanie Salasad. She says, in regards to credentials, do you agree that it's beneficial to introduce students as doctoral interns during the rotations so that patient can take them more serious? What are your thoughts on that, guys? Uh, well, I'll t let my wife take her thoughts. Um, yeah, what yeah do you think? I think it would be beneficial so that they can establish that respect level. Because I know we, you know, not just a student, you know. Yeah, because I know we have we like we have like a label as SBTs when we're student physical therapists. I know that's like mm -hmm. our dedicated credential name when we're doing our rotations. But I do agree. I do agree that you know I know like when I have. Uh, you know, students from PT schools, I do let patients know, like, hi, she is a doctoral student and she is doing her clinical rotation here and I'll let them know when they're graduating. That way, like, patients can take them a little bit more serious because I know that, you know, when sometimes patients find out you're working with a student, they're probably thinking, like, uh, it's a student that's not even in the physical therapy program or something like that. You know what I mean? And so, um, yeah, I agree, Stephanie. Yeah, I agree. And it would probably depend on the setting, right? Obviously, if you're in a hospital setting, that might be a little bit more frowned upon. Um, I don't know. I'm, 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 I'm just speaking from my own experience. It's an opinion. I don't know. Um, but it's just a bigger system there. Um, but if it's a more private setting, then if, you know, they're welcoming to the idea, then why not, right? Right. So let's talk a little bit more about the pelvic floor uh, credentials and what exactly does that mean for the people like pretend I don't know anything right um, what does what does a pelvic floor therapist do um, why should someone go see a pelvic floor therapist versus another physical therapy clinic that you know doesn't is it doesn't have a pelvic floor therapist let's put it that way right so Anessa and I will weigh in on this and it's a loaded question. I'll tell you that there's <laughs> there's a lot to say in that, right? <laughs> but basically a pelvic floor physical therapist is one who can do, uh, a true pelvic floor physical therapist is one that can actually um, do internal, uh, vaginal, if there's a vagina or uh, rectal um, assessments of the musculature in that area, right? So we're we're taking a finger and we're inserting it and we're assessing the muscle function in that area. Um, we're uh, checking to see, are those muscles doing what they're supposed to? Just like a regular, you know, um, shoulder uh, muscles or the hip muscles, right? As a regular physical therapist would, we're assessing what's going on in the pelvic floor muscles. So the muscles that uh, control uh, sexual function, um, the uh, voiding or peeing, right, urinating pee, and the the poop, right. So uh, <laughs> sexual function, pee function, and poop function. Yes. So controlling pee and poop. Yes, and uh, there's so many different types of, of of names that I've learned through my. Uh, research that you get tagged as the the hoo-ha doctor or <laughs> the hoo-ha therapist or all these different names but yeah now there's so much trending on TikTok about it um but yes basically we help with incontinence urinary or fecal leakage uh any sexual pain or dysfunction pelvic pain um prolapse right so if they're feeling a uh, feeling of fullness going down in that area um or any scarring right from c-sections um so, so it's it's a loaded question in that there's so much more right uh, that goes yeah. into the pelvic floor um but essentially working working with the skeletal muscle musculoskeletal dysfunction of that area uh anessa do you have anything to weigh in on that 
Um, I agree in regards to what you said. It's a very loaded question, right? We have so many, you know, so and I took the courses and we're learning and practicing, but um, from what we have, you know, learned and through our, our teaching, I mean, through being taught, was that we're just used in conjunction with, you know, the physicians, right, that are managing several conditions. A lot of times it's it's uh, an embarrassing kind of thing, you know, and, and um, but really, you know, when we learn about what we can do, what, you know, our mind was like, right? When we were exhausted when we learned all the things that, that we were able to do. Um, and you think about urinary incontinence, I see home health on the daily and it's just like uh, nine out of 10 patients, you know, everybody had, oh, it's just the wave, you know, but then it's educating like, hey, there are things you can do. There are options to to help. And then a lot of, you know, postpartum, I have a, you know, a lot of friends that are, hey, I have this issue after having a baby. And, you know, so there's definitely um, a big benefit to to what we are able to do, like Rosie said, internal exams, things like that, the different layers that we're able to examine. And speaking, weighing in on the incontinence piece, a lot of women that I've met, they say that it's sometimes normal to, to experience that, right? But uh, it's not, it's not normal. And so it's, that's one of our, our, our responsibilities um, in treating pelvic floor is to educate the, the community that uh, leakage of any kind is, is not normal. And so uh, getting that addressed with your provider to get a referral for pelvic floor physical therapy is, is important to make sure that everything is doing its job, right? Contracting and relaxing correctly so that everything that's supposed to stay in stays in right? And that we are able to relax when it comes to going to pee and poop. And that's as sim as, as simplest terms as it gets, right? When it comes to the credentials, though, um, there are other uh, additional uh, tests that you can take to become a, uh, a, a, a women's, yeah. right, right, a woman's uh, specialized therapist. And so, there's also, depending on the coursework that you take, another exam that you can take through them, um, and that's a pelvic rehabilitation or pelvic, what is it, PRPC, I think it's called? PRPC, yeah, PRC, PRC or something, something like, like that. that, yeah. So um, as far as us right now taking the courses, we are able to identify ourselves uh, as pelvic health providers, right? So we're doing pelvic floor therapy, um, and we did just start learning this, and it's just so amazing how uh, how much we learn and how much we learn that we can help patients with and so it just opens up another rolodex i think <laughs> so we have maybe multiple rolodexes right now, uh, <laughs> so there's another rolodex in itself right so pelvic floor pt can be its own thing in that there's so many different diagnoses that you can uh target and so and it's not just about kegels. It's yeah. not just about kegels. Absolutely <laughs> not about kegels. And that's if you even know what a kegel is and if you're doing it correctly. <laughs> and if I may, and if I may, I want to jump in here just to kind of take a moment to just kind of like any listener out there uh, or person viewing, if you were to just Google right now, nearby specialists in, in the physical therapy practice, right, for pelvic health or fellowship trained, you wouldn't see too many options out there. And I wanna take this time to really just, um, you know, pay my respects to all of you as clinicians that wanted to better yourselves because it's not about bettering us as clinicians. It's, it's about informing ourselves, becoming certified to help our neighbors and our community. And we, we essentially, like just questions about what drove you to open your own business? What drove you to this? What do you, know, to go get more education to that? And when it all boils down to is because our community deserves more and better, right? And if, if we're not able to provide that as clinicians, then are we truly, really doing what our neighbor should right because for years it's been like we got to go to san antonio houston dallas to get that care and we're right here you know live uh testimonies to say we we want to provide better for our own community our family our friends uh our future and this is why we're doing all this i know that you guys all agree because i see 
bunch of head nodding there. But try to try to Google pelvic health specialist, physical therapist. Not going to find too many options. Try to Google fellowship. I think the numbers in fellowship trained uh, physical therapists in the state of Texas, I think there's 2%, I think is what I last found out. 2% of all physical therapists are fellowship trained. 2%. Like, And then you're looking at Dr. Sethio here, fellowship trained, and then I hope to join that boat pretty soon, right? So in your community, in your community, you're now starting to get those options. And so it's really something to take advantage of because you're going to see that the level of care that you deserve is definitely improving. And you don't have to travel San Antonio, Houston, Dallas so much uh, for that anymore, right? Right. So there's 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 uh, differences there. And, and really, when we talk about pelvic pelvic health is I, I want to use it as I'm introducing it to the practice that I'm already in, right? So how can I help my patients with the additional knowledge that I've learned, right? And so there's uh, there's many patients that I've already seen in the past and I'm like, oh man, I wish I would have known this before because I probably could have helped them a little bit more, right? And now we have the tools to do so, right? Now I can say, okay, well, I've learned this, so let me try to help my future patient or whatever. Um, if that and and it's even better right because you you're becoming a better clinician you're adding more things to your to your rolodex you're 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 learning more as you go and a lot of the times we're learning from our own patients as well right a lot of their subjective reporting we're learning as we go so it's not all with the books right it's not all with the books that we're learning a lot of it is we're learning in the clinic with the patients with a lot of trial and error unfortunately yeah but luckily, you know, the trial and error has decreased significantly because of the extra training that we've done as well. Mm -hmm. But um, going on another subject here. So tell us about where you're at, Andrea and Nessa, or where, where are you guys at? Yeah, I know you guys are located in Edinburgh, right? So kind of give us more information about where you guys are at, what made you all start GPTSI, uh, what services you guys offer, things like that. Sure. Yeah. So we're located here in Edinburgh. And essentially, if you want to find out all our information, we're, you just go to our website, www.dptsi.org. And it's going to give you all the information. We're very transparent and open with what we offer and what we do and all the services. We still have to update a little bit on some stuff, but you can essentially you can always just call us to ask questions. But uh, we're here in Edinburgh and we are right uh, essentially you look out our front door and we we're across from uh, the doctor's hospital renaissance area um, jackson road between owasa and alberta and uh what made us start dbtsi well when it all boils down to the 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 gist of it it was really to be able to provide a better service for our community but at a position where we can decide on what we want to do and what we want to offer and and, and, and necessarily bring down the uh, essential, you know, equipment and things that we don't see here. So we have a lot of things that we highlight in our facility that you won't find in other private practices, much less other like maybe hospital groups or whatnot. But, you know, we feature things like the HydroWorks underwater treadmill, the Alter-G anti-gravity treadmill, the Thor photo, uh, photo biomodulation, uh, cold laser therapy, dry needling, cupping, game ready, cold compression. A lot of things that, you know, when people say, well, it's a sports institute, so I'm not an athlete. It's like, no, again, just like Dr. Rocio mentioned earlier, we're physical therapists at the, at the, at the beginning of it all, right? So we know how to treat many, many different type of age groups and, and conditions, but we have that added benefit of also featuring sports related type of injuries and performance enhancement and prevention of injury and rehabilitation. But uh, that's essentially where DPTSI is located. And, um, you know, I didn't know if you wanted to get into uh, get into any more of what we offer or just focus on DPTSI. I, I actually, I, I want to ask, can you explain a little bit to the community about what uh, the anti-gravity treadmill, like what, what that does and uh, 
And then yeah, I think you said also the Thor, just, just so that they simply understand like what that offers. Yeah, and, and that's a great question. And the reason is because, I mean, the question is, well, why, right? Like a treadmill, I just buy a treadmill at the Academy and run on it, right? But I mean, or, you know, cold laser, put, slap on some eyes, man, and, you know. Uh, but no, again, evidence-based practice, right? Evidence-based practice is where we essentially have had, uh, uh, transitioned in our care. And um, essentially, the evidence shows that if you unload or unweigh, um, you know, joints and, and structures of the body, then you're not, you're essentially not going to be um, feeding into the problem or you're going to help prevent the, um, the degeneration or the wasting away of joints and whatnot. So we essentially felt that our um, facility needed to be focusing on things that evidence-based practice was 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 telling us we needed to do right so we do a lot of manual stuff so people will be like how about decompression table you know do you do that for herniated discs right and our first question is okay is it a true herniated disc that you're having pain related issues for or is it a movement dysfunction in your in your facets of your spine right because that can also mimic or mirror herniated disc related pain right and so you know, somebody may have heard, well, my MRI shows I got two or three levels of herniations and, um, you know, essentially, yeah, you do, but that's not the reason why you're having your pain today. So we do unloading, we do manual stuff to help uh, relieve the tension in the joints and that, that essentially becomes very effective for our care, right? The cold laser infrared, infrared therapy is good for decreasing some localized inflammation and also relieving uh, trigger points. So uh, dry needling is also very good for muscle relaxation and, and, and trigger point related activation. So uh, a lot of that stuff isn't seen in many practices down here, um, but we decided to uh, go ahead and offer those services so that uh, we essentially become like a one-stop shop for our community members. So um, another big thing I wanted to hit on was direct access. We have the direct access law and we open direct access to our to our facility. So somebody essentially says, I have pain and I don't wanna go X, Y, Z. I just wanna see a movement specialist to help me, um, you know, address my pain, walk in our door and we'll, we'll accept you, you know? Um, and Andre, can you can you explain a little bit about the direct access? Like what what that what does that mean to patients? Yeah. So before direct access uh, became uh, into law, uh, September October of twenty nineteen was it? Or I don't know. The pandemic went by so fast. It was that last. Year. <laughs> I know. We're, last right. year was all COVID. Okay. Twenty twenty. All COVID. So twenty nineteen. Yeah. So <laughs> essentially, uh, our direct access in the state of Texas was one evaluation. We could only evaluate, we couldn't treat, we couldn't do anything. We could just say, you know what, this is what we are identifying. Go see your medical physician or go see a, 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 a primary care, a primary level uh, clinician, get a referral, then come back just so that they can confirm that what we think is going on with you is actually what's going on with you. And then so much back and forth, right? It's like it was a lot of that. It was a lot of that, and it was like, well, hey, my job said that I'm gonna, I can't, I don't have any more PTO. If I wish miss one more day, I'm just gonna give me some stretches to do because, or I Google something, and and then we never <laughs> see them again. You know what I mean? And it's just or like, like they go to you and they're like, wait, so you're not gonna treat me <laughs> right here, right now? <laughs> yeah. So yeah. You know, it was, it was, it, in our aspect, in my side, it was like. They didn't really gain the trust. They really felt like you were. We weren't able to do everything we we, we essentially could do to help them because of that. Well, anyway, um, long story short, the uh, uh, PTA, APTA, uh, Texas Physical Therapy Association, the Texas Medical Therapy Association, we all went to Austin. We fought for the ability to have patients walk directly into our practice and we can evaluate and treat them. Uh, when it came down to it, they agreed to allow us 10 days as a doctorate level physical therapist or having extra uh, clinical or, or um, I'm sorry, educational um, courses 
We get 10 business days as a fellowship or residency trained doctor physical therapist. We get 15 days to treat the patient without the need of a physician referral. Uh, at At that point, if we have not helped the patient optimally get the results that they need or finish the diagnosis, then we're obligated to send them to a primary care to get a referral. But, you know, we have to always um, uh, put the asterisk that we are not a substitution of a primary care evaluation. We're not a medical diagnosis. We're, we're not substitution to imaging, MRI, all that kind of stuff. It's just, it's just our physical therapy related um, diagnoses. And so it gives us a little bit more time to be able to help the patient and save their time and having to double book, you know, uh, other doctor type of appointments, so on and so forth. Awesome. In a nutshell. (laughs) But come see us and we'll be able to dive into it a little bit more and then tell you exactly how we can help. And that's essentially uh, what, why we opted into uh, seeing patients with direct access, which uh, essentially helps us to open our doors to our community without them feeling like they cannot approach us. And as a sports institute, do you guys offer anything specifically to athletes, uh, uh, maybe a, a gym membership or anything like that, or right. uh, wellness? Yeah, definitely. So essentially, we always want to look at uh, how uh, we can help an athlete improve in performance or optimally function in their sports. And essentially, a lot of athletes that we have seen in our clinic after injury has been with uh, – you know, injuries related that could have been prevented, right? And so in talking to them and in in studying a little bit more of like their preparatory work and things that they did to essentially get them into an injury, we were like, well, I think that there's a gap there as far as uh, like movement-based type of identification and, and, uh, you know, joints that are not necessarily uh, positioned uh, optimally to to effectively work right or move uh, muscle imbalances so so on and so forth right and so a lot of things that, that we were identifying essentially is that when they would come to us it was like well I used to go get a massage and they would help me or I did cupping or I did this foam rolling and I did that uh, and it would help but then two hours later the pain was there but I had a back-to-back game so I played it I pitched 90 times and oh my god my UCL is torn now and now I'm out of commission for the next you know year or so right and so we were kind of like well what is it you know what what when you when you scale it back and you look as as a as a doctor physical therapist with you know uh concentration in sports and all that you start you start thinking like a lot of times and this isn't just athletes but this is just in general a lot of times we're like a dog chasing its tail we are treating symptom after symptom after symptom hoping that the problem is going to be resolved, right? And essentially, we don't go search for the problem fix because it's going to take a while. We want the quick fix, right? We're like, what have you done for me lately culture, aside from the cancer culture, where what have you done for me lately culture, right? And it's like, I want results fast. So give me medication, give me a foam roll, give me that stretch, all that kind of stuff. And we're like dogs chasing the tail instead of finding the true problem, right? And so we decided to offer uh, our community an ability to walk into our clinic to find the problem. No more chasing the tail. No more looking for the symptom relief, just, you know, cause and effect stuff, you know. And we've been very efficient with that and seen a lot. So we do offer athletes like a wellness screen. We offer athletes individualized uh, proper sports specific training uh we do have our dpdsi fit uh gym that we just opened and it's open to all our community but uh, essentially our coaches on staff are certified trainers uh, in, in as far as like educational stuff doctor physical therapists uh strength conditioning coaches so there are a lot of things that are out there that we offer um but essentially, we just want to stop chasing our tail, stop treating symptoms, stop feeding into the opioid pandemic, stop, you know, all the other kind of things that uh, we're doing to ourselves because we want quick fix stuff and essentially nip it in the bud uh, right off the bat 
we'll see you in our clinic with injury anyway, but I don't want you, I mean, without, if you keep chasing symptoms, we're going to see you in our clinic, right, as rehab. But we want to try to not lead to the injury component. We want to we want to address it beforehand. So uh, again, as uh, holistic-minded therapists, uh, clinicians, we want to treat everything as as much we can. We want to work towards uh, becoming primary level clinicians, not secondary level. So we have to be able to look at the whole picture versus just treating symptoms or or sticking to just the rehabilitative side as, as uh, physical therapists have for so many years. We need to just address the whole preventative and, and all the other kind of stuff that happens before injury. Awesome, awesome, well said, well said. Well guys, I think that's gonna wrap it up, but um, you wanna give a shout out of how people can find you one more time, guys? www.dptsi.org. <laughs> All right. And a phone number maybe they can reach you guys at? Right. We're at 956-205-2704. Feel free to give us a call. That's our main number. And we can always uh, uh, direct you to whether it be our fitness gym, our home health, our massage spa, or our physical therapy clinic. Do you guys have any promotions going on right now um, for the community, um, like on Facebook or anything like that right now? Definitely. On Facebook and Instagram, you can find us, uh, Locate DPTSI. Uh, we have right now for our massage, we have our on-staff massage therapist. She's really one of the best that we feel here in the Valley. Uh, she is by appointment only. But essentially, if you find our discount voucher on um, Instagram or Facebook, you get a 30% discount to any of her sports-related or soft tissue massages. She does 30-minute, 50-minute, and 80-minute massages. So uh, just uh, download that voucher and give us a call. Uh, essentially, here at... Um, at the clinic, we do offer a pain discovery voucher. We have discounted rates. Whether you have insurance or not, we could always run benefits on your insurance. If you have any uh, questions on, well, does my insurance cover for physical therapy, so on and so forth, call us up. Give us your identification information. Give us your insurance information. We'll do all the legwork, find out what your insurance covers for you, call you back, let you know what uh, what they cover. And if you are you have a co-insurance or co-pay or whatnot, we'll do all the work for you. But essentially, we want to get you in our door. We want to help you identify why you're having pain or movement dysfunctions, and then give you options as to how to how to fix that. If you don't have insurance and you want to do private pay, we do have a voucher on uh, on our Facebook and social media. Basically, you come in for a consultation. We have a certain uh, discounted rate for that. And then we discuss uh, discounted rates for treatments and interventions. But uh, as far as what we've been doing here in our clinic, we've been seeing great optimal results. Our patients have really benefited from what we offer you know their words to us is like why didn't i do this first i went to this place i went to that place i did that and i did this i don't know how many of them had the little huevitos over their head and the, the egg kind of stuff they went to curanderas they spent all this money you know they, they did all kinds of stuff and then finally day one they come in here and they're like wow no one's ever told me I had that and you helped alleviate my pain. Of course, it's not like that for everybody, but we're going to try our best to do that. Just like I know uh, Dr. Sergio and Dr. Rocio do over at Surge Mobile Physical Therapy. So um, I wanted to touch on one last point. You had a question there. And the question there was essentially, what is it that... Um, uh, why the collaboration between us with Surge Mobile Physical Therapy and DPTSI? And it's a very good question. I think it's important that our community understands. You know, Dr. Rocio, Dr. Sergio own their own company, private practice. They do home mobile visits. They do home health. They do uh, clinic-based visits. You know, uh, they're essentially always trying to do better in their 
in, in their care for their community and the same like-minded uh, approach with Dr. Ines and my so we want to put the community first and why in the out in the as a, as a as an out viewer somebody looking from the outside in they say well you guys are competitors no we're collaborators we work in the same industry. We're colleagues. I don't look at Dr. Rocio and Dr. Sergio as my competition. I'd love for them to be right next door to me or across the street from me so we can go have lunch every day, but we can't. But what the thing is, you know, the true honest fact is because now I see that we have two clinicians that are like-minded individuals that like like we are, and we can offer better for the community. I don't want to be the only one out there doing the wonderful work that I do. I want help. And my wife does too. And I want to be able to say, hey, my 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 uh, patients come in and say, I'm going to South Padre Island for the next week. Uh, I'm going to miss out on therapy and I'm so bummed. No, you're not. Let me call Dr. Serge and let me, let me see if they can take you in because I know that they're going to apply uh, the caliber of intervention and skill, st skill set that you need to help you get better. And we can help each other collaborate that way. But essentially, that's really why I thought that was a very good question that I didn't want to go without answering because I think that we should be able to have a community of, phys of doctors, of physical therapists, just physical therapists that we can pick up the phone and say, hey, I've got a patient. It's a family member. It's a neighbor. It's my cousins, my tia, but I don't think I can help them ultimately or optimally like you are. So I'm going to refer them your way and then say, hey, I appreciate that. And then it's going to come back and forth and so on. Or it's, hey, how do we better our whole Rio Grande Valley community to offer better for our sports athletes, offer better for our geriatric athletes, offer better for our pediatric and work in collaboration versus the patients who walk into our door every single day. I went to that person and that person and this doctor and that doctor and that and nothing ever resolved i think it's something that we're just kind of allowing to happen which we shouldn't and we got to make a change and so this is our effort and uh hopefully that rings into uh the ears of people and the listeners that essentially it might be affecting those who have have kind of chased their tail everywhere but i want you to know that we have we have truly uh it's, it's effortless our our connection here with dr martinez's has been effortless but it's it's really because we passionately put the patient first and we want to improve our industry so um i'll get off my box now man but <laughs> no, I, I, I agree with that i think it's a lot of the time uh very competitive and it, there are a lot of competitors out there very competitive nature but when you're when you're looking at it from from our perspective right um and it, there's other people that maybe see it differently but we're we're trying to help we're trying to help create awareness and stuff and and it, I don't see it. We don't see it as competition because we see it as additional help, right? We're we're like-minded individuals. We get to bounce off things off of each other, right? Especially when you're specializing in the same areas, and and what not better thing to have than a, a buddy, right? And so in therapy, we always emphasize that, right? Always to have someone to 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 have to support you. So more support the better so i 100 percent agree with that and that it doesn't have to be a competitive nature it's just someone to that, that has a, a other experience that can help in the matter so more people yeah. we can help the better yeah yeah i mean i get text messages from you know a lot of my colleagues asking me like hey i have this patient doing this this and this presenting this this and this i've done this and this is still happening am i missing something you know and sometimes I, I feel like I'm missing something too. I mean, we're not perfect, right? But I mean, that's the benefit of collaborating with other like-minded individuals who have the same passion to be the best in what they do, um, not just for ourselves, but like, you know, for our community as well, and to make sure that, you know, they're getting the, the care that they need. And so um, I love this collaboration that we have between each other. I think it's only gonna get better and looking forward to what the future brings. And I was just trying to get uh, Grayson Starbuck to say DPTSI, hooray, but I don't think I connected <laughs> with him in that, man. He hasn't commented, but uh, yeah. So uh, 
he's actually a physical therapist also. I picked uh, up on all his comments there, but uh, Mr. Starbuck, can we get some credit here, bud? I mean, come on. <laughs> he's, he's actually in Oklahoma, I think. He's a fellow as well. He went to, uh, okay. Yeah, we went to Manual Therapy Institute together. So, um, yeah, he's a, awesome. he's a funny guy. He's a cool guy. He's really funny. <laughs> but anyway, uh, that's it for us, guys. I mean, do you have any other questions or comments? Before we get offline all right so then that's it for everybody thank you for listening to episode four with dr zacunias uh, at dptsi their physical therapists and business owners um we are logging out and this is surge pt podcast if you guys need to contact us it's contact at surge mobile physical therapy.com or give us a call at 956-443 3844 or look us up on the internet www.surgemolphysicaltherapy.com thanks guys and you can find us on facebook and instagram too so welcome thanks, guys. Orange, baby. welcome orange. <laughs> <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs>